He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, inspiration, and empowerment. And this is what we're always here to do, and liberation. We're always here to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we want you, our listeners, to be empowered, to know and being, doing and impacting the world around you. That's what we're here for. That's what we strive to do. It's four years, baby, we've been doing this, and we're glad that we've been able to do this. Thank you for all our supporters who tune in weekly, tune in quarterly, whenever you tune in, all ten of you, we thank you. (laughs) Good morning. The blessings of God be upon you today. We have an exciting show, an exciting topic for me. I'm doing a Bible study, and I just thought I'd share uh, some from a can't talk. Some of the Bible study that we're doing, uh, we're going to be teaching on, and uh, we're going to be talking today from the topic Jesus and the quest for meaning. So it's going to get a little bit a little deep, and I hope you guys can join in and get in with us on the discussion as always you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey uh there's several ways to do that the primary way is by getting your call and your thoughts in on the number 347-237-5230 that's the number to call if you want to join in the dialogue live on the air if not we have the chat room open you simply go to blogtalkradio.com, uh, zero today. You'll see the chat room. You can log in on the chat room, the chat line, and get your thoughts in on there. Also, you can go to our uh, Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook, and like the page, join the group, and get all updates, share your thoughts and dialogues, commentaries on any show topic all the way back that we've been doing this. You'll be able to share your thoughts, insights, inspiration, whatever it may be, commentary on that. And also on Twitter, on my personal Twitter, at Prophesy, on 
or shoot me a Gmail, shoot me an email at G- Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail.com. However you choose to do it, Skype us, Twipe us, Tweet us, Beep us, whatever it is. <laughs> we are here for you, and we're glad. But before we go into further into the broadcast, let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy for allowing us to do this broadcast. We thank you for every opportunity, every person, listener, near and far. Be gracious unto us to have words that are pleasing in your sight and acceptable in your sight and your ears. We ask so in thy name. Amen. So i uh, got a couple of headlines that I want to share with you. And I tell you, some of these things you just can't make up. But again, you know, main topic today we're going to be talking about is Jesus and the quest for meaning. But before we get into that, let me share a couple of, uh, couple of headlines. Now, I like scrolling the Internet and finding things particularly that relates to uh, the church and, you know, and reporting on them. Some things just interesting. Sometimes you can find some of the craziest stories. And maybe crazy isn't the best word, but some of the weirdest, some of the oddest, some of the strangest, and some of the funniest stories uh, relating to the church, and I tell you, today I found one of those stories, and it's, it's a very serious story, but it's just funny. Here's the here's the story. Uh, a 70 year old convent of Catholic nuns in Stone Park, Illinois, has filed a lawsuit. Listen to it now. Ready? Wait for it. They filed a lawsuit against a strip club, claiming that became their neighbor. <clears throat> the strip club, you know, moved in close to them. And this is why they filed this is why they filed the lawsuit. They filed the lawsuit claiming that the thriving music from the club is preventing them from praying in peace. Let me say that again. They filed a lawsuit. The nuns filed a lawsuit against the strip club saying that their thriving music from the strip club is preventing the nuns for praying in peace. Wow. I tell you. <laughs> I, you can't make stuff like this up. But this is what's going on. This, this, is, this, is, this is a headline. And, um, but that's not it. That's not all that they're saying. The sisters, the sisters of this particular convent, um, they're, also claim, they're also claiming, listen, they're also claiming that the club um, um, excuse me. I I lost my train. Um, well, they're claiming several other things, <laughs> but but they're, they're yeah they're claiming that it's the it's a hot seat of immoral activity, which I probably you know of course it's a strip club it is a hot seat, but they're saying that the the the, uh, the patrons of the strip club. Uh, are promoting lewdness and, of course, alcoholism, and you know they get drunk, and of course sometimes they get a little too too rowdy. They may fight. Uh, you're not saying that it is, but this is just they're they're saying that the strip club is bringing up more ear immoral behavior that was not present before. And and uh. Uh, they're also saying that this may be probably this should probably be the biggest cause uh, for the lawsuit is actually violating the ordinance city ordinance which you know says that uh, no 
adult entertainment uh, venue should be within a thousand feet of a, a, a worship facility or anything like that, a worship place, place of worship. Um, so I mean that probably that is probably the the, the legitimate uh, part of the suit. But these sisters, these sisters are filing suit against a strip club, and I'm like, wow. I, but I have to commend them. I really do have to commend them because of the fact that they are they are standing up for what they believe, and if it is violating uh, their their vows in some capacity, maybe they're getting a little too hot and tempted. I don't know. Uh, perhaps you know. I'm, I'm quite sure you know that it it is interrupting their prayers because you know in in a, I, um, in convents. And in seminaries and in monasteries, uh, you know, they have the, the the hours of prayer. And it depends on I, – I didn't find out what order this particular convent is affiliated with. If they're with Franciscan or Benedictine, uh, you know, there are different orders and different um, affiliations that the, they could be. And uh, I, I didn't get – I didn't find that one. Um, I'll do a little more research on that. But anyway. Do you think they're right in filing a lawsuit against the strip club? And what do you think the effects of the strip club, you know, how is it going to affect the strip club? Now, this happened before. Uh, down in Florida, a similar, a similar incident happened. And uh, it will rule the verdict came against the, uh, against the, the, um, the nuns in, this case, in that case. And uh, it was, the reason was because they had insufficient I guess insufficient evidence, <laughs> but uh, it was ruled against them, so they didn't win on that particular case. But uh, I mean, just within the zoning ordinance violation, I think they may have a good case. And my question is, how will it affect the the strip club? How will it affect the patrons? Are the patrons even aware that there's a monastery or a convent by the strip club? And think about it: a thousand feet isn't far. It's not a long distance uh, when you actually, if you try to put it visually, it's not a, lot of, a long distance. So the question is, how can you tell there's a, monos- there's a convent there? Uh, I'll give you an example. Here in Jackson, there's a, a Carmelite, co- Carmelite uh, convent. Carmelites are, are, are well known for contemplating and um, meditation and things of that nature. And I visited the convent. But however... You would never know that it is a convent unless you were going there. Uh, it has a small sign out there that just says, uh, you know, common light uh, uh, convent. But most people never pay attention to the sign because, again, the sign is not its not a big, bright sign. And, and the grounds are well kept. It looks like a house. You see a little chapel. But then there are four other churches literally right next to it. And so it just comes across as just another small church, not a you know, not a convent. And um, across from that, it, there was uh, well, across from that is a, a little skating and whatnot. Not not directly across, but just uh, probably about a thousand feet from it. <laughs> it's a skating rink and, and a couple of other. Um, it was a nightclub, but. Uh, but I think they closed that down, or so I may be mistaken on that. But anyway, anyway, just from just from perception, outward perception. If you know, if you're unaware 
you just drive by, you, you'd be completely unaware that there's that is actually a convent. Nuns live there, and they go through their practices, whatever it may be. So perhaps this was the case. Uh, this is the case for the patrons of the strip club. I mean, they see this building not far from the um, the strip club, and they just assume it may be another house. It may be another. Maybe they maybe they do see it as maybe it is a church and. They may feel a little convicted driving by the church, but then again, you know, I ain't gonna lie. You know, there are liquor stores closer to churches. <laughs> I, you know, there, there. Matter of fact, in my right where my church is, in my neighborhood, there's a church, and then across the street, there's a liquor store, a gas station, a wine. You know, well, it's a liquor store. You know, wine and spirits. That's what it. That's what it says. But it's literally directly across from the church. And there's a fish station, you know, fish restaurant, catfish restaurant. You get that. Uh, matter of fact, there's two churches right across from the liquor store, and, and that's that's less than 500 feet, literally. And I don't see anybody. I, I definitely know <laughs> they have not tried to to lobby it, uh, lobby to get it shut down uh, because either it's a gas station for one, but the other part of it is a liquor store. So. Uh, you know, I want I would like to know how that is going to turn out. That's that's definitely interesting. That that definitely is going to be an interesting uh lawsuit. I want to see how it turns out. Who who's gonna win? What would be the argument for the strip club owners? What would they say uh in defense? Would they say that they have a right, they're not violating, maybe they'll use some who who knows? I, I I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a city administrator, a city planner, or anything. I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. But it's just interesting, and I wonder how they would interact with the the good sisters of the convent. It is it's worth thinking about. All right, so that's the first headline that I wanted to share with you. The second one is a little a little. Um, I don't even know how to categorize this one. Um. Because it's just it's it's one of these church things that you just wish never happened. So here's the headline: Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas. If you're not familiar with that, it's led by Pastor Ed Young Jr. Um, his father pastors uh, Second Baptist in Houston, and both of them have are mega churches for thousands of members. I think I know. Uh, um, and Ed, Ed Young Jr. has his church has uh, at least five different campuses across Dallas area, the Dallas Metroplex area, and one in Miami. Anyway, so the Fellowship Church, uh, led by Pastor Ed Young Jr., has launched a 90-day challenge, and the 90-day challenge is to tithe. There, listen, yes, yes, you heard me right. The 90-day challenge a 90-day tithe challenge he's encouraging the members of his church uh his mega church to put god to the test by bringing their tithes and offerings to the house now if you if you've ever been if you've been in church long enough you you, you know exactly the scripture that he's using to base this from testing god put god to the test is the theme of, you know that's the that's the challenge put god to the test and and and, and tithe well, the, most of this comes from Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, You've robbed God. How have you robbed him? You've robbed him in your tithes and your offerings. And then it says, um, 
bring you all the tithes into the house and maybe meet in the house and see if I would not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't have room enough to store and I will remove the canker worms and batter blah, yada, 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 put them forth and so on. If you've been in church long enough, you have heard that scripture pounded Sunday after Sunday to make sure that you give your 10%. And that if you don't give your 10%, some, for, some have gone so far as to say that you're cursed. We're the curse because you don't, you don't tithe. Now, I do not ascribe to that. I, my, my particular interpretation of Scripture regarding tithing is that because we, uh, because we believe that Jesus fulfilled the law, tithing is no longer a law. It's not mandatory. You're not going to be cursed if you don't tithe 10%. We believe, I believe personally, uh, and Jesus described that along with Paul, reemphasizing that, that uh, the offering is sufficient now, whatever the offering may be. Your offering, giving from your heart, the good, you know, free will offering, as we call it, has not fully replaced the tithes, but is just as sufficient for the tithes. It's not going to do away. And so if you do give 10%, you know, it does, it's not going to make you any more any better than anyone who does not give 10%. If he gives 10% a bore, um, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be blessed or not greater. Uh, and, and if I'm wrong, y'all prove that to me in Scripture. I, uh, I, I love to hear that. I, I love for someone to correct me. From my, uh, from my reading in Scripture, from New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is there. It's definitely there in the Old Testament. And, yes, it's addressed in the New Testament, but it's not addressed as a command. It's addressed in passing and not as a command. And there's no way to uh, infer that they were drawing from the same uh, idea because Paul, if he did, he'd be contradicting himself. But anyway, so the 90-day tithe challenge is that if they committed to tithe for 90 days and God didn't hold true to his promise of blessing them, that the church refund 100% of the tithe to the person. That's amazing. I'm going to tell you right now, Lord, have mercy. If If God did not fulfill his part of the bargain, Ed Young has obligated his church to refund the tithe. Now, I know Ed Young and his church are pretty sophisticated, so I'm quite sure they have a system, uh, accountability system, monitoring system to see who tithes and how much they tithe and uh, to, to see, you know, all of that stuff. Now, the question I have, well, how would you be determined? How, what determines what is the blessing from God? What what is that determined? Okay, so they tithe if they get what? So if if they get a new car because they tithe, is that is that is that a significant? Um, is that a sign that they were blessed, or they get a new house, or they close on a loan, or something, or they get you know they tithe ten percent and they get back fifty percent of what they tithe from somewhere else? I mean, I I'm just saying, what is the what is the Means of of uh, 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 saying how the tie, how the blessing was. That's that's what I'm trying to get to. Um, I believe in giving. I believe in giving. I tithe weekly, and my income comes from the church, so I'm basically giving right back to myself. And when I give my ten percent of my income that I get from the church, I'm basically giving right back to myself because. You know, 
You know what I'm saying? But I also give generously outside of my church. I sow into others and give into others. I try to do all I can, and I consider that part of my time, if not all of them. Um, so I, I cannot determine. I, I, I used to have that expectation where, God, I gave 10%, so I'm looking for some money back. Yeah, that was my expectation. When I gave 10%, I looked for it in some type of financial return. So I gave $10 to the Lord. Uh, you're supposed to multiply what I gave. I gave $10 of $100, so I need $1,000 or $1,500, so you need to do that right now. And that's that. That's most people who buy into this, this this prosperity gospel angle presentation of tithing. That's what they do. Lord, hear my tithe. Now you got to give me some more money. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I was the most miserable of persons in that particular mindset because it was difficult. I never, I won't say I never saw returns, but the expectation that I had gotten because I expected a return was was so so bad you know it was it was it was over idealistic and it caused me to have anxiety that i did not need and and i believe a lot of believers a lot of christian believers particularly in the black church where there's a lot of financial oppression where the financial gap is is in a black church you could y'all y'all know it you could tell who got the money and you could tell who's struggling the ones that got the money sit up in the front. <laughs> I know at some church I've been to, I've been to some churches where there is special seating for the the big tithers. You know they get the big, yeah, they get the special seating. Y'all ain't never seen that. I have. In my church, you know, I, I'm aware of who tithes. I have to make a report every year of how many tithers I have at the church. And I started changing that to reflect my perspective of tithing and said everyone is a tither, whether they give full 10% or not, because scripturally, the way I have interpreted it now, everyone tithes because they give, and they give some support. But there are those who specifically give 10% all you know year round and out of my church I list that number also I, I put reference that we have this many people in our church I'll say 150 uh, and I'm just giving generalization uh, out of 150 we have about 75 people that literally give that 10 that, that tithe 10 10% weekly of their income and that's a wonderful thing you know we stay afloat we get our meat we get our bills paid and that's how you know. That that's the way I see it. Uh, tithing is as as if you interpreted the scripture, even the ones that that um, Ed Young and others use, uh, it means bringing into the house, the temple. But we're you know we we don't have temples. Some people call their churches temples, uh, but you know we no longer have a temple. And so by bringing the resources into the house, in that day it was meant to take care of the Levitical priesthood, the Levites, and those who worked within the temple to make sure that they had their food and all that stuff because that's what they – the tithe was set aside for them. And in our New Testament day, you know, the finances that we, in, we take in, uh, if churches have a support staff, that's what it's for. My members know my salary. My members know we we do a budget annually. Annually, we give finance reports weekly, accessible to every member, so they know what's going on. Nobody's left in the dark. Pastor's not left in the dark. Pastor, you know, I, I can't take the tithes. <laughs> but I've been to church where, you know, the tithe goes directly to the preacher. 
literally, uh, plus the love offering and plus all of that stuff. But, you know, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And, and apparently it's becoming a trend. If you Google 90-day challenge, you're going to find churches doing this quite a bit. And um, it, it is nothing more than an annual fundraising drive. You know, that's just what it is to me. I just see it as another fundraising, you know, and I'd rather them just say, look, we got this budget. We need you to meet, help us meet and the specific projects we're trying to get accomplished and just give and help us do it instead of coming up with a gimmick. And I, I don't like gimmicks. I don't use gimmicks. I never have. I don't preach, you know, gimmicks while they attract and bring money in, you know, when they're not used for the purpose that the gimmick said is for, you know, there is no accountability for it. In other words, you know, you re- basically he doesn't say why he wants to, you know, why do you want the members to tithe for 90 days? You know, I know personally this is the summer month crunch. So everybody, every church across the country, they got this little crunch from June to August or, or September. That's money is tight. That's just the way it is. People are taking vacations, they're doing all this kind of stuff, you know. You know, so money gets tight. Donations go down during the summer months. That's for any church. Attendance goes down. All of that goes down for any church. But uh, so pastors, you know, it, it, you know, you don't need a gimmick. Just be honest. I try to prepare. I, you know, I do forecasting with my board. Uh, my commission on stewardship, my ministry on stewardship and finance. We, you know, we forecast. We go back and we see, we, you know, we see what we had from this time last year, and we say, okay, we know what we need to do, what we need to bring in. And if we're short, I just simply say, listen, you know, I just make the announcement and say, look, we need you to assist us more because we're not meeting our obligation, or we're short in this area, or we're going to be short, and we need you to help us. Uh, the downfall, and that's just be honest. People give when you're honest, but when you have a gimmick like such, you know, why it, it may be encouraging, it may be a way of encouraging those who haven't contributed or tithed to do so. Uh, but it also, you, you know, if you have no means of accountability, and, and I'm not saying that he doesn't have a means of accountability. Maybe he shared, maybe Ed Young shared it with his congregation what the funds would be used for. I'm quite, I hope he has. I'm not sure he has, but I'm I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But for most persons, when they ask for tithe, they you, you know there's no men, there no there's no accountability on their behalf for the people who give them money, and that that's what's hurtful. So anyway, I rambled long enough. I I think I've massacred the, both of those topics, and while they were very good, you know, I cannot go on. I got to get into the topic of the day because it is very very interesting, and I hope that you are uh, chime in on this uh, topic as we uh, discuss Jesus and the quest for meaning. And we're gonna get a little deep, but not gonna get too deep, but enough to um, get you to thinking that something to chew on just to sow the seed to you uh so you can get an idea uh of what uh, a, a greater deeper relationship so we're going to take a break we'll come back from a break that's what we'll be discussing be right back
name your price tool, you tell us what you want to pay, and we give you a range of coverages to choose from. Who is she? That's Flowbot. She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for like small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Flowbot. Great job. Oops. Uh-oh, Flowbot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, ba -dum, bum, 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 bum. Suits today aren't like suits from yesterday. Part of it is the cut of today's suit. Short jacket, narrow lapel, moderate fit. But part of it is the cut of the man himself. Because today, it's not so much the brand of suit that defines the man, as it is the brand of man who wears it. You're gonna like the way you look. I guarantee you. Friends, there's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock, the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric, is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. Peacock by Heatcentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you will not disappoint when you order your candle today from Heatcentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com, and while there, also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter. I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Heatcentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realized that uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers that's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you... 
you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to that site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure. Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. And um, today we're going to be, this, uh, this second segment, we'll be discussing Jesus and the quest for meaning. We're drawing this from uh, a book that I, I've had for some time and I just started using in, in, in a Bible study. I, I started a Bible study yesterday, a study doing our, <laughs> our group Bible study at the church with the same title and drawing from uh Dr Dr Thomas West who's a uh noted scholar and professor um uh seminary and theology professor and and he he uses this book with the same name Jesus and the Quest for Meaning to introduce students into uh to theology and and um but uh the underlying thing is that he presents this in light of the new uh, new developments in theology. There, you know, th- as we discover more, as as we learn more, as we as we uncover more in the ancient writings, uh, we find it a lot more challenging to the religious connotations and experiences that we have been taught. And and since I'm all about empowering, and I'm all about in, in, in enlightening and illuminating minds, one of the things I I I do sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, is to challenge sacred cows in, in, in church, in religion. Because the idea that, you know, most, most Christians, particularly black Christians, we have been churchianized instead of Christianized. We, we are baptized into the church, and we adopt church ways, and we envelop our entire lives around church. And the ideal that we gather in church. And in church we learn the basic Sunday school lessons, you know. And I shared this and I, I shared this on my Facebook page and I shared this with you, my audience. That if we were as preachers were to stop doing redactionary preaching, redaction preaching, which is uh basically taking stories and then preaching them in a ways that our audience will not be offended. Then we we will we we actually do more harm that way. Think about in va- you know in your Bible school and your Sunday school and vacation Bible school. You learn all the stories. You learn the gospel. You learn the Bible and stories and and those stories get embedded into you. And nine times out of ten, and 
Most individuals never move beyond the stories that they learned in Sunday school, and they interpret scripture in light. They they interpret scripture from that perspective. The preacher, same way, nine times out of ten, never moves beyond what they have learned. Uh, outside of seminary, I'm not talking about the ones who go to seminary because the ones who go to seminary, <laughs> the ones who go to seminary, sometimes almost lose their religion altogether, almost lose their faith, and, and that's why the, there, there's this argument about going to seminary and you know whatnot or cemetery school as I've heard of it called. I am a seminarian, and I I have going to seminary was probably one of the best things that happened to me as far as my religious uh, vocation. Because and I went to I went to an African Methodist Episcopal school seminary. I went to it on the college of a historically black campus, college and university. And but one of my the dean of the seminary I went to, Dr. James Hooper, who was presiding elder in the in our Zion, and, and the dude is just this guy is just phenomenal theologian and. Tapped into the, some of the greatest minds, uh, Dr. James Cone, Dr. Cecil Cone, Dr. Aubrey Hendricks, uh, Dr. Henry Mitchell, uh, and uh, I can go on and on of some of the greatest minds that I've been able to tap into personally, you know, in person, not just through their literature, not just through their lectures, but, you know, to handle, to hear them, listen to them, dialogue with them. And it, it had changed, you know, it helped shape uh, the pastor that I am today as far as challenging the traditional view of Christianity that we have been taught or we continue as continue to be perpetuated. I'm not a heretic. Neither am I one who is far from the faith, you know, but I am one now who has a greater illuminating, uh, greater illumination of how scripture, you know, scripture and its role in my life and church and its role in my life as a pastor. But most people never get beyond that. Not most people they get into the church and they never get beyond that. But they still have this desire, this yearning for meaning. They still have this quest for meaning. They want to know what is the meaning of their life. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm gonna present this in, in in a couple of ways. I you know I'm gonna present it from from the um, from two perspectives, from an existential perspective, which is what I'm drawing from, largely, and from a um, linguistic perspective, because we draw, as Christians, we draw meaning from Scripture. As pastors, we draw meaning from Scripture and, and uh, attempt to uh, to relay that meaning to our to our, our listeners, our audience, by way of the sermon. So I'm presenting it from that two, from those two perspectives. And from both of those perspectives, uh, with the lingui- uh, from the linguistics and from the existential, it all comes it all comes back to the same same um, concept of meaning. And before we get you know before we have a quest for meaning, we must understand what meaning is. And if we go from um, first from just the existential perspective. If we go from the existential perspective, then we'll be uh, we'll, we we we'll, we we see meaning as worth in life. What is life worth? 
And yes, we find that in scripture. We find in scripture life can be worth a lot thing of you know, there is worth in life, particularly in Ecclesiastes. That's one of the deepest books, even though it's depressing to read. <laughs> but you find that the author here, the preacher, the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher has come to the end of his life and in the end of his life he has determined that it's basically Nothing is vanity. It's empty. And it's empty because he had done all of the things that should have been fulfilling and they weren't fulfilling. And he came to the end conclusion that the only fulfilling thing, the only meaningful thing is to know God. Knowing God fulfilling is is more fulfilling than acquiring anything else that inquiry that means acquiring happiness that means acquiring material things even romantic things and he had talked about if you go through and read ecclesiastes he talked about all of those things so from the existential perspective um it's it's more it's more than the conception of a meaning of life with you know that's not what we're not not what we're saying but more prescriptive declarative that's is is not as as justified that's what we get in the church prescriptive and declarative ideals of meaning and but um we'll find in scripture that Jesus presented uh this this uh a meaning in a different way and if you go to my uh my i've, I've written about this on uh on my my blog on lorenzo t neil lorenzo neil dot com you go there and you check it out um uh we 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 find that um lost my track of thought there because uh, i was <laughs> pulling up but um here let let's go let's go to let's go to jesus had a quest for meaning, and if you don't believe that, then you you got you you missed out something here. Uh, when you go through scripture, I, it was, and particularly in Luke chapter two, when he's talking with these elders, and he's sitting with these elders as a as a little boy, and this is the last time we hear of him until he becomes an adult in in the gospels. He's inquiring with these doctors of the law and he's 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 schooling them as well as being schooled by them and when his parents come back to look for him you know they forget he was gone or or was lost and they go back to look for him and he tells them you know i'm trying to be about my father's business in other words he was saying look i have to learn so i can be about my father's business he was aware that he had a greater meaning and greater purpose than what was you know going to be ascribed to him as just a cow, a carpenter following in the footsteps of his stepfather Joseph but it really takes shape his his quest for meaning really shaped after he gets baptized by John the Baptist when he gets baptized by John the Baptist he has a significant conversion experience and that conversion experience was that he goes down in the water and he comes up out of the water or he's sprinkled it depends on you know how how some people practice baptism <laughs> whichever way uh he's poured he's sprinkled or he's immersed either way um when he comes up out of the water a significant event happens that is marked by witnesses and the witnesses account say that 
and this is the one that's presented to us in the narratives of the Gospels. Yeah, each each one with the exception. Uh, each each gospel narrative presents this that after he was baptized, there was a loud voice that sounded like thunder that said that this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased, and uh, the Holy Spirit came descending upon him in the form of a dove. Okay, that was the significant conversion experience. And if you follow the, the narrative's account, following that baptism, Jesus went on a 40-day fast in the wilderness. He secluded himself for 40 days, and the purpose of secluding himself was to continue his quest for meaning. He did not go there just to get away. Uh, he went there to continue his quest for meaning. He went to be baptized because he was beginning or he was continuing his quest for meaning. John the Baptist was in the wilderness in the Jordan, baptizing, presenting a, a particular message. And Jesus heard this particular message, knew where he was, and he went and responded to that message. And after responding to that message, his significant conversion experience happens. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Having come out of this fast for 40 days and 40 nights, he gets tempted of the devil. And, and you know, the way we have been taught, it was only three temptations. That's it. Jesus was only tempted three times in his whole life. That's not true. Not accurate. But we taught it like we teach it like that because that's the way it's, you know that's the way people read it. it. You know the scripture, the the gospel narratives are not a um, gospel narratives are not a chronological history of Jesus. So you know anyway, he gets this temptation where the devil comes to him and tempts him with bread. He says, you know, you don't live by bread alone, by every word of mouth. Um, and then takes him to the pinnacle and, and ch challenges him to throw himself down and said the angels will kept, keep him. And he said, you don't tempt the Lord. And same thing with he takes him to the pinnacle and lets him see this great kingdom. And he could have all of that. And again, he resists the temptation. Uh, but the quest for meaning is the key to understanding Jesus' ministry. Because once he completes that quest for meaning and he overcomes those temptations, he goes back into the areas of Galilee, villages and towns around Galilee, and puts, picks up the same message as John did and tells people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't do anything else for a number of times before, but he teaches and he preaches the same, uh, the same theme as John, as John the Baptist, repent. The, the sense of urgency that he garnered after having those two, uh, those three experiences, the experience of being baptized and the conversion experience with the with God speaking and the dove coming, the Holy Spirit coming. He has that second experience is going into the wilderness for 40 days. And, and, and some people say nights. Let's just say 40 days, uh, 40 days, 40 nights. He goes there and he's alone. And then immediately after doing that, he's tempted from there. He goes out. And he changes his uh, he changes the perception of his meaning by saying uh, by taking up the, the sermon that John John the Baptist preached, and he goes on and preaches that. He does that because he has garnered, uh, you could say he had realized 
his quest for, for meaning. Now, from the linguistic perspective uh, of meaning, from the linguistic, I mean, here we have how he communicated that how he expressed and conveyed his message to the people he encountered. And I used, in in the Bible study, I used uh, his visit with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And I contrasted that with the disciples of John the Baptist uh, trying to uh, get John the Baptist to act against him in the latter part of John chapter 3. Most people never read that, and we we definitely forget about it. But... In John chapter three, when Nicodemus visits, when Nicodemus visits Jesus, Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is a scholar, a teacher, and one who received such by God alone and not through training. And he says, "We know you're you're a teacher sent from God because no man can do what you're doing except they come from God." And that's acknowledging that. But Jesus, in his first statement. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this initiates a dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus that has been grossly misinterpreted for, for a long time regarding how, they, you know, how Jesus communicated this idea of meaning and quest, the quest for meaning and, 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 and conversion in this dialogue. Jesus says, look, you must start from the beginning. You must be born again. Born again is, you know, we've made that into an evangelical term of accepting Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. And that's unscriptural in, in all of itself. I'm not even going to get into that. That's a whole different thing. But Jesus acknowledges his own conversion experience, his own means of grace, his own means of coming and, and questing knowledge. Um, how does he do that? Simply says uh, when when Nicodemus said, "Well, how can a man? How can that be? Does a man need to do this again?" And Jesus said, "No, simple man is born, you know, the spirit and water. He, you know, you know, you know I, I'm not even gonna try to quote it right. Maybe I should. <laughs> hey, let, let me get my Bibles. Let me get my Bible out here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tune up and take it on home. Yeah." Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh here in in John chapter John chapter three and uh oh, had it just a second there. Uh, um John chapter three and verse blah 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 yada 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 and verse um six verse five six seven it says, that which is born in the flesh, well, truly true, I say to you, uh, unless one is born in the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You do not hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it's going. But everyone who is born, of the, so is everyone who is born of the spirit. That's deep. And and Nicodemus still misses that because he is simply trying to stay within his his rev, you know his sphere of revelation. Nicodemus's sphere of revelation and relationship was by the law. 
He was a Pharisee, so he understood things in relation to the law, keeping the law, observing the law, making sure others observed the law, and penalizing them for not doing so. That was his reference point. That was his point of reference. And Jesus was trying to get him away from that point of reference regarding the law. He himself thinking he was uh, Jesus fulfilling the law. And and I believe we need to do that today. I think I believe Jesus is still trying to break us, get us away from the reference point that we're used to. The reference point that we're used to in our quest for meaning is the church. We go to church to get a word. <laughs> you know, that's the common thing. Go to church. You need to get a word from God. Go to church. But that is not fulfilling the quest for meaning. You're not getting a meaning. You're getting someone's interpretation of a book or a message or an idea, or a concept, or a doctrine, or a belief, or a social issue, or a political issue. That's what you're getting. And, and, and it's within that sphere that Jesus is trying to pull us away from in our quest for meeting. Just as Jesus pulled away from his parents when, you know, he stayed behind at the temple, and he sat among the doctors, and he learned, he said, I must be about my father's business. Even so, that is how we are to be today. He's trying to pull us out of that sphere at that reference point, that frame of thinking, so much to the point, so we can get to the point where we uh, we we rely on what he is attempting to to share and draw, and that that is the spirit, and I'll, that is the spirit now. How does that? How is it, how did he communicate that? Well, of course, through the gospel narratives. And you got to understand uh, the gospel narratives. I'm not dealing with the rest of the New Testament because those are largely Paulistic, and Paul Paul had a, a, a slightly different, if not altogether different, perspective of, of spiritual things than Jesus did. And a lot of times we get mixed up with that, uh, and it has damaged the church quite a bit. Because there's the big contradiction between Paul and, and Jesus, and, and and you know, there's it's really kind of hard to to uh, put them together. I got a caller. Go ahead with your comment. Okay. Guess they didn't have a call. Didn't have a comment. All right. So I'll just get back to my commentary. <laughs> but anyway, in our quest for meaning. If we are, if we put our frame of reference strictly for meaning, if we put our frame of, frame of reference for meaning strictly within our uh, church experience, we limit ourselves from being completely fulfilled. Um, and yes, yes, you know, we ask about what is my life, and what is my purpose, what is my destiny, and I, I. I get tired of people using Jeremiah 29 and 11, and I'm just saying this as a personal frame of reference uh, because contextually it's incorrect the way we use it now. We don't use it in context. We, you know, yes, God knows his plan and purpose for us and all of that. And it's good to have, you know, as far as positive out, outlook in that, you know, things of that nature. But that doesn't say that just because he's aware and he knows that that's your quest for meaning does not say that. You need to find your quest for meaning. How do you go about doing that is the question. How did Jesus go about doing that? We stated that Jesus got away. He went and he fasted for 40 days. He went and sought out the quest. I mean, he went on a quest. 
He did it by fasting. He got away. He went into the wilderness. It was a quest not to gain something, or, you know, a, a prize, but to be uh, enlightened. That's what it was a quest for. And I think in our church arena now, we have few people seeking enlightenment and more people seeking uh, just experiences. And the experiences have taken the place in most pla- most most ways. They take the place of an authentic relationship, uh, an authentic communicative relationship. Just as we quote all the time in Revelation three twenty, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I'm knocking. And if any man open to me, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he would be, you know. And I know I, I didn't quote that correctly, so." You know, don't bash me on the head for for <laughs> misquoting. Um, but it is it, it it is we have to be where boy where here. Yeah, I do have a caller. Hold on for a second. Here's the caller. Caller, you on the air? Hello. Hello. Hello? Okay. okay. Miss that one again. Listen, if you want to get a comment in, uh, um, uh, caller 314, I'm about to click you on right now. Go ahead. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Oh, how you doing, sir? The, um, I agree with you about the uh, – I got one question. Could you reference God as uh, sitting in a seat? And then that's just different. That's a personal because he said to me, you are my chair. And I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Say, but, say it again. But you are my Re- chair. I'm your chair? What? Uh, yeah, you, I missed it. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I was just re- references to a, a biblical scripture. If you knew any scriptures that reference God as a. Uh, a resting a resting place, or a uh, he rests on you, or he's your chair, or use the chair. A chair represents uh, he didn't say throne; he said chair, like a resting place. But uh, uh, this other thing about it is, is that God sends you on on your journey, and and as you not in fear, you will he will um, reveal more to you. And so if you're willing to give up everything, because I had to go through a lot of scriptures today, do not worry about your food or your shelter. Well, I'm not saying that right. Do not worry about your food or whatever, because he tomorrow will bring us, will bring tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going on. Don't be, Martha, Martha, do not be anxious for anything. Um you know, it's a lot of scriptures that saying, um, let go and let God and seek the kingdom first. And the people tend to hold on to their pastors or hold on to their prophets. But when you hold on to a prophet, if the prophet never gives a warning, it, uh, Jeremiah 28, it talks because God woke me up in the middle of the night uh, talking about, the false prophet who was prophesying oh such good things. Nobody's life is about all good. We have those uh, tidal wave effects that that up and that down and, and challenges in life. And if you prophesy all good things, 
are going to come to pass, I question that because life is not all good things. And we hold on to other people's um, perception of us. Um, I, I agree with you in the sense that we're looking for those experiences inside the church, but we're not looking for the experiences outside of church in your intimate, most intimate um, resting place, your bedroom where you lay there and you just you you talk to God and He reveals things to you. Okay, uh, uh, quick question. Uh, we we went off the air live, but we're still recording, so uh, you'll be able to hear. Uh, those who uh, they'll be able to catch this. Uh, I don't recall making a, 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 a comment about resting in a chair. I think I, I think yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, but there are scriptural references where where God is referred to as sitting on a throne and things of that nature, not in a literal perspective, but more in a, a allegorical perspective. Um, and I said I, I think I was talking about sitting in the seat of the heart or something, except that Christ is no, the heart. No, no, or no, no, no. Sitting at the seat of the heart. Uh, okay. I, I can't. I I, I, I rebel. So sometimes no, I forget. No, it was for me. It. I'm sorry, sir. I, 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 not what you. And I'm not putting words in your mouth. That was oh, for okay. me. Oh, That was okay. a personal thing that God had said to me, and I, I, I'm trying to go through the scriptures to, to figure it out. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You know, I, I get rambling. And I forget sometimes. Uh, but here, here's the thing. Hello, caller. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Um. When, when you're talking about uh, the intimate moments, such as self, you say you woke you up in sleep. Though that that is the the quest. That is the means of of grace that God has really given us to, by getting to Scripture, by listening and communicating with Him, allowing Him to communicate with us. We develop a deeper understanding of ourselves and Him. That doesn't occur in church. What you, what happens in church most times is we have a collective experience where like-minded people come together. They and they get emotive, and the emotive, are, you know, emotions are false. So people can get happy and believe they're experiencing something from God. Then they go home and they get depressed and they shoot themselves. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or or you know, the pastor and I've experienced this personally. The pastor. Uh, doesn't fully believe what they're preaching, but they have to keep pretenses up, and because they keep pretenses up, they're they're sending out false messages, and they themselves no longer may believe or ascribe to that, and you know, and they give false hope. Um, yeah, and that that happens a lot in the church. So you can't use the church in the quest. I mean, the church can be a part of your quest, but it should not be the the sole means of your quest for meaning. You will not find meaning in the church alone. You find meaning outside, and I think that's where uh, we miss it, particularly in the black church, because again, we've been most of us who are who are brought up in the church were taught that the only way you can really find happiness, the only way you can really find any type of enjoyment in life, you have to find it in the church. And you go to church on Sunday, you're guaranteed to have a good week on Monday, you know, begin on Monday. And we know that ne- that is not necessarily the truth. Um, yeah. And we, we cannot afford to allow church to validate uh, what we what we try to receive or what we believe we receive or what we're seeking from God. And you're right. God tells us to seek. And, of course, the, the, the main scripture that we get that from is Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But within the entire context of that speech, you know, 
this is within the, the, the context of him teaching on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching on the Beatitudes. And then he, before that, he's teaching on giving. And, and then following that, he gives the model prayer. And then he, te- he teaches on faith. And then he comes up to that, seek ye first. The kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. But we just take that part and forget about the other part. Forget about uh, the, the Beatitudes. Forget about the, the being hypocrisy when it comes to giving and things of that nature. And we, want, we don't fully seek and engage God through Christ as he wants us to. And therefore, most of the lives of Christian believers are poor. They're unhealthy. They're, you know, emotionally, emotional wrecks. They are mental wrecks because they seek for other. They seek God through other means instead of the means of grace that He's afforded to them. Yeah, that is true. Huh. That is true because He He will open up your eyes because you you will find that there's more for you than against you, they, and, and and He will open up your your heart and um, He will He will show you things and and uh, you will experience things that no man. Uh, who of the flesh will understand a woman? Not you know, thinking about man, woman either. When they will only believe in the what's in front of their eyes, and not they don't believe in the uh, God that we're in. Do you remember that scripture that talks about um, you? I'm in you, you're in me, and we, you know, we're in God. I'm not quoting it correctly, but. You really, when you find when you find out, it's gonna really gonna blow your mind that you're in me and I'm in you and we're in God. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, I know and, and that's what. Oh, and that's what's gonna blow. See, people don't understand that. They don't look at that scripture. They don't even talk about it as as like they should because once you realize that He surrounds you, and that's why He's I. I uh, how can you have an eye on somebody without them being around you? How can you know what's in their secret? What happens in a secret place unless you're in them? That that, that they're in you and, and you can see everything they're doing. And and uh, how can you know nobody ever asks these questions? You know, how can a God uh, be our provider? You know, he give us oxygen and and food and and uh, love. He, he, you know, we're in him. I just think that's awesome scripture. <laughs> I'm sorry. What well, well, it is, and uh, most people see, um, most people never get beyond or never get to the the, the metaphysical or or the mystical uh, part of Christianity because they, particularly in the black church, we we never move beyond what we've been taught or trained in in Sunday school. Or a uh, you know, as most of us are still babes, you're still on milk and never get to the meat of of the word, as Paul suggests, and as the author Hebrews suggests. So we we have to we have to desire that we have to, and the only way you can desire that is is to seek it, and the only way you can seek it is to know that it's you're entitled to seek it. God does not want is God is not a a hidden idea, as some would make him to believe. Uh, and the the while Christianity is is a wonderful means of grace for some, um, getting out and seeking God, you 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 realize that Christianity is more limiting than it is freeing. And right. once you once you get there, you 
you know, it changes your whole perspective on your life. And you become more fulfilled because you understand that God is willing to help you be more fulfilled in him outside of the spheres of arenas that you have, you know, came to know him. You may come to know him in church, but you don't have to stay knowing him in church. And for right. some people, for some people, that is a scary thing. And you know, I'm not. I'm a, as a pastor, I'm not afraid to say that. It you know, church is a means of grace, but uh, you get out of church doesn't mean that you get out of God. You know, you're not going to miss God for missing church or not right. being. But you know, that's it. But look, I appreciate your call. I've gone over the air. I've gone over the time, and I really. No, no, no problem at all. I like that. <laughs> I like the dialogue, and I appreciate you, appreciate you for uh, calling in. And we're we're here uh, all the time. We won't be here next week. We've got a meeting to go to, but um, tune in anytime, and we and uh, we appreciate you. Okay. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you sir. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. That's. That's going to be it for our show this week. And thank all of you who listeners. Thank all of you who call. We're going to be back uh, as Lord allows and enables to do that. But till this is Pastor, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we are going out. God bless you.